you have your Bibles, uh, if you could open to Romans chapter 12, we're going to read two verses, one and two. It's beautiful to hear pages turning. I know a lot of people look at the Bible on their screen or on their phone, and I get it uh, for convenience, but I want to encourage you, uh, put some ink in that Bible. Tat it up. Tat it up. Put your notes in there. Pretty soon, one of these years, uh, whenever the Lord decides to take us home, maybe our grandkids or our kids' kids' kids can read the Bible we left behind. So I want to encourage you to uh, tat that thing up. Romans 12, 1 and 2 reads as this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse two, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I want to speak to you today from a very simple subject. Fundamentals matter. Fundamentals matter. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us today, wherever we are right now in this faith journey. I pray that God, you would meet us and that God, you would encourage us. You would challenge us. You would convict us. You would correct us to be changed into the image and likeness of you, God. I pray that, God, that we hear you through your word today. Speak to us, God. We give you the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, legendary Green Bay Packer football coach Vince Lombardi began the first day of the 1961 NFL training camp with this simple phrase. Gentlemen, this is a football. He's telling professional football players, gentlemen, this is a football. Well, six months earlier, they had lost the NFL championship game. It wasn't the Super Bowl yet. They lost the NFL championship game in a heartbreaker to the Philadelphia Eagles, 17 to 13, and that's after blowing a fourth quarter lead. So when all 38 players reported to camp that year, they were pretty excited. They thought, wow, you know, we made it to the championship game. Yes, we lost, came up a little short, but we've got some momentum going into the season. We like our chances. And so they thought that they were going to pick up where they left off, correct a few mistakes, and they were going to be rolling during training camp, hopefully to be the favorite to win the championship that year. And their head football coach pumped the brakes on them just a little bit, and he held up the football and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. Open your playbooks to page one. And they, for the next few weeks leading into that season, became hyper-focused on the fundamentals of football. You reduce football down to its most pure form, it is still blocking, 
tackling, catching, and passing. That really, in its essence, are some of the pillars of the game of football, the fundamentals of football. So they didn't practice until they got the play right. They practiced that, that training camp in that season until they couldn't do it wrong. They became super focused on the fundamentals. So what a lot of our, our, our men and women who serve in military, it's reps over and over and over so that when they get into those real life situations, they can operate slow as smooth and smooth as fast. They don't do it till they get it right. They do it till they can't do it wrong. It's the fundamentals and the fundamentals matter. Gentlemen, ladies, this is a football. And the same is true with our Christian life. If focusing on the fundamentals can elevate a football team that year, they went on to win the NFL championship by defeating the New York Giants 37 to nothing because they came hyper-focused on the fundamentals. It wasn't the big grand finale play. It wasn't the trick play. It wasn't any of those things. It was doing the ordinary things better than anyone else. Blocking, tackling, passing, catching. And they went on to dominate that season. And if focusing on the fundamentals can help a football team achieve great things, Imagine what it can do to our everyday spiritual life and walk with the Lord. So we read Romans 12, 1 and 2. Well, the first 11 chapters of Paul's letter to the Romans really is, is pretty heavy on doctrine, but it reveals God's mercy towards sinners and directs us to a pathway that God himself provides for us to be in a right relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. For many of us, it's old school Sunday school called the Romans Road. You heard of that? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned, missed the mark. People think sin means I'm just bad. Sin means missing the mark of perfection. It's an archery term. All have sinned and missed the mark. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages, the payment for our sin is death, separation from God, but the free gift that God offers us is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then Romans 10.9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the first 11 chapters focus on God's mercy towards sinners and directing us to a pathway that is provided only through Jesus Christ. But the last five chapters really uh, explains and unpacks to us our obligation back to God and our obligation of living and operating daily in this world. Our obligation, young people, in the hallways of your school or in the locker rooms, or us, mom and dad, in, at our jobs or at HEB or whatever it is, it gives us that blueprint, the last five chapters, of how we ought to live in the presence of people on a daily basis. But Romans 12 starts with a very strange word to start a sentence. 
he starts with the word therefore. If you wanna know what therefore means in scripture, it is basically saying you need to know what happened before he gets to therefore. If I were to walk up to you and say, therefore, I think you should give me a hundred dollars. You would say, hold on, time out. I don't know what we're talking about. You caught me mid-thought, mid-story. Like, I don't know where you're, therefore, I ought to give you $100. For what? Well, I gave you no backstory. So if you want to know Romans 12, 1, therefore, read Romans 1 through 11. And in verse 1, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. He's saying, I'm urging with you. He's putting pen to paper. Remember, this is not an audible, auditory um, encouragement or letter. He's writing pen to paper, and he's saying, I'm pleading with you. I'm urging with you, brothers and sisters, to present your body, to give your life as a living sacrifice, not the Old Testament sacrifice once a year where a lamb or a goat was slain by a priest and the blood of that lamb would cover the sins that you've committed for that year. He's saying, present your own body. I'm urging with you, I'm pleading with you to present your body in that way as a sacrifice. Give your entire self, give your soul, your soul, you know what your soul is? It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. Give everything you have, Paul says, give it to God as a living sacrifice. In essence, he's saying you've accepted Jesus as your savior. You got your get out of hell free card. <laughs> but now you need to surrender to him as your Lord. That's what he's saying in Romans 12, one and two. You've said yes to Jesus, but you haven't gone all in for him. He's saying yes to your savior, but now he needs to become to your Lord. And then he says in verse two, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The world and its systems will offer you and I a way that we ought to live. And it says it's okay. But oftentimes in a way that suggests like a spinning compass, suggests what direction you should go. There's no true north. The word of God gives us a foundation of what true north truly looks like. He says, do not conform to its patterns. Allow the word of God. We have to allow his word to shape and mold how we think, how we believe, how we live, and how we love. We think we got these things down, y'all. But we got to allow the word of God to shape how we do those things. I want to ask you a question. Are you living as simply a believer in Christ? Or are you living as a follower of Jesus Christ? It's different. Remember what Jesus would often say in the Gospels. He would always say, follow me. He's inviting, you some, he's inviting you and I into something that's deeper than just believing who he is. The Bible says that the demons believe and they tremble. But are we following him? Have we surrendered our life to him? And when we do that, the Bible has a special word. He calls us a disciple. A disciple simply means this, an obedient, committed follower of a master. What are you obedient to? What or who are you following? 
And who masters over your, who's the master over your life? There's disciples in a lot of different areas, but Jesus is calling us to be his disciple. Every disciple of Christ is a believer, but not every believer in Christ is a disciple. And that's where we have to make the commitment. Salvation is free. The free gift. Remember, we just said it in Romans, uh, that God demonstrates his love in, in Romans 6.23. It's a free gift. But discipleship will cost you. It may cost you friendships. It may cost you some type of relationship because you've changed all of a sudden. It will cost you something. But you got to be willing, Luke 9.23, is to deny yourself, to pick up your cross daily, to follow him. First Baptist, I keep hiding this part because it's an LSU game ball. So I'm trying to just do this here. This is a football. It means nothing. But this right here is a football. It's time to get back to the fundamentals of our faith, to know why you believe what you believe, to be firmly rooted and secured and grounded in what you believe, that firm foundation. We have to know, not to win an argument. This is not to win an argument. This is not to prove our side right. This is because we love him and he loves us. This is because we have a personal intimate relationship with him. Eternity is at stake. This is not to, to win a talking point or a debate. We love him and he loves us. So therefore, we got to have a, a firm rooted system and our foundation must be sure. There's hundreds of fundamentals, hundreds that we can focus on in the scriptures. We're going to look at three key fundamentals. It's blocking, tackling, catching, running, throwing. It's those fundamentals. So if we're going to live out Romans 12, 1 and 2, if we're going to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, if we're not going to conform to the patterns of this world and be transformed by the renewing of our minds, we have to, number one, be engaged in studying God's word. We have to study God's word. Research shows us that there are approximately 500 million Bibles published in the world every year. It is still the New York Times best-selling book of all time every year. But it's a fight right now because people are wanting to water it down and people are wanting to negate its truth. But the Bible is what it is. It is who it is because it, he is the living word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Bible is published in over 20,000 different languages. You think of that, 20,000 different languages. We think that God just speaks English. There are hidden tribes right now that missionaries are taking the word of God in their language too. It's being translated. I know that for a fact in, in hidden languages that people don't know. And the word of God is being taken. There's different ministries that have committed their life and their visions to that. And so people are hearing, people are going to share God's word. But we have to, y'all, in the fundamentals, study God's word. 
But we do know in America, Bibles are everywhere, right? Most of us have the Bible app on our phone. We get our daily Bible reading plan. It sends us a scripture and we say, oh, that word was good. We post it, all that other stuff. But did we study God's word? No, we read God's word for a verse, but we didn't really take some uninterrupted, unplugged time to dig into God's word. But the beautiful thing about like the Bible app is that it also comes in audio Bible. So if you have trouble concentrating or whatever it is, open your Bible where you can actually see the words, make sure the translation matches up, hit play, and let them read the Bible. Now you're looking at it and following along. And so there are different ways. You're now hearing the word, you're seeing the word, you're using a lot of your senses to get the word of God into you. Do topical studies, word studies, Study characters of the Bible. Study, you know, who was Moses? Who was Rahab? Who was, you know, just go through, study Jonah or whatever it might be, but study God's word. It's available to us 24-7. 66 books wrapped all up into one. 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, 66 all wrapped up in one. Pinned by the Holy Spirit through fleshly people through men and women just like us that lived committed lives that God chose to use them as the vessel to pen his word. But it is all inspired by God. And if we're gonna study this Bible, we need to study it to handle it responsibly and accurately. If a football player catches a ball and just runs with the ball like this, they're not being very responsible with the ball. You're going to hear a coach yell, ball security. They're going to have to do their five points of securing the ball so that someone, the enemy doesn't try to come, the, the adversary doesn't try to come and rip the ball and they fumble. We got to be able to hold this thing secure and tight, high and tight, close to us. So that in the end, as Paul said, I've kept the faith. I didn't fumble this thing. So I want to encourage all of us, that we have to. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture is inspired or breathed out by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. As the Apostle Paul is penning this letter to Timothy, his mentee, who's gonna carry the baton after he's gone, Paul says in, in chapter four, the time of my departure is at hand. He knew that he was at the end. But the one that he had poured into, Timothy, he's saying it was in your, your, mother, your grandmother and your mother and that, that same faith is now in you. I'm handing the baton to you, Timothy, and here's what the word of God is for. You're to take this word to people. When they say amen and when they don't, you're supposed to take this word to the people. But the only way you're gonna know the word is if you spend time studying the word, get in small groups, get in uh, classes where you're learning the Bible and then you take it on your own and study and grow. Here's a few things, just as we need oxygen to survive, we need to read and study God's word to survive and thrive spiritually. So why is the studying the Bible necessary? Number one, for spiritual growth. The athlete who lifts 350 pounds didn't start out with 350 pounds. They started out with 30 pounds. Then they moved up to 100. 
and just kept growing and getting stronger and stronger and stronger. The same is true. You say, well, I don't know where to start reading. Might I encourage you? The Gospel of John. Just read it. Don't think about anything else. Just read it. Whatever that might look like for you, just read 21 chapters in the Gospel of John and to be an eyewitness to what's going on right there and just start studying God's word. So not only is it good for spiritual growth, it's great for spiritual endurance. It helps you develop a resolve to endure life's storms and trials. No one is exempt from going through. No one is exempt from the storm of life. But the way you handle that storm, that is all based on what is your foundation. There is a parable that says, there's a wise builder and there's a foolish builder. The wise builder builds their, builds their house on the solid rock. The foolish builder builds it on the sand. And when the storm comes, that one who's built on the rock, that house will stand. The other one will shift, crumble, fall, and utterly fall to ruin. It depends on the foundation that you have built your life on. You will develop spiritual endurance to endure all of life's trials and storms. And then also it is good for spiritual transformation. A transformed life is a changed life. Our new identity in Christ should bring about new activity in our lives. Our new identity in Christ should bring about new activity. One of the greatest compliments that you can ever receive is someone says, there's something about you that's different. It's one of the greatest compliments you can ever receive. You have the same sense of humor. You have the same, you look the same. There's something about you that's changed though. That's one of the greatest compliments that you can ever receive. If that compliment is you started following Christ and your life changed. And the same Christ who can change your life can change someone else's life. So my encouragement for you as you study this word, listen to the word, read the word. Recite the word, memorize pieces of the word, memorize scripture, that's huge. You might not have the Bible at your fingertips, but you have it inside you. And when you need it, you can recite it because you've memorized it. Here's something that I've challenged myself through some people that I love that challenged me, write God's word out. Here's my creative side, y'all ready? I took a spiral notebook and I wrote scripture notebook on it in a Sharpie. Literally, I did. And I just started writing out God's word. I would open up this Bible and I would stand at my desk. I had a standing desk and I would just write out God's word. I wrote out 2 Timothy, it's four chapters. I wrote, I'm writing out Romans right now, it's 16 chapters. I'm not gonna tell you how long it's taken me because there are gaps because I date it, but I have two chapters left. My son was still in high school when I started and he's gonna be a sophomore in college neither here nor there, but I'm a finish. I'm a finish. It's taken a while, but I'm a finish. But I want to encourage you, don't just wait for church to feed you. Make sure you're studying God's word. The church can help you where to get started and they can help you along the journey, but make sure, hey, enjoy it. Don't look at it as a duty. Get great delight out of studying and spending time with the Lord. So not only are you studying God's word, number two, you're seeking God in prayer. Communing with the Father in prayer. Not just going with your wish list of things. All right, God, here I am. Here's my wish list of things that I need. No, spending time 
with him in prayer. Jesus models that for us. He would teach his disciples how they ought to pray, but then he demonstrated and showed them, not so that they could learn, but because he loved the Father. Jesus was fully God, he was fully man, and after a very long day in Mark chapter one, in verse 35, it says this, and very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, went to a solitary place where he prayed. And the disciples went looking for him. When they found him, they said, Master, everyone's been looking for you. That early in the morning? And when they found him, what'd they find him doing? Praying, doing exactly what he taught them to do. He was engaged in it full time. I wanna encourage you to get alone with the Father. There's an old book I read. You guys are the only group that's gonna get this. There's a book called Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. It's powerful. Ravenhill says, no man's greater than his prayer life. The pulpit can be used as a shop window to display one's gifts, but the prayer closet allows no room for showing off. Ouch. I don't know why, it's not even in my notes, but the prayer closet allows no room for showing off. Jesus modeled what seeking God in prayer looks like. How many of you guys would agree, sometimes it's a little intimidating to go before God in prayer? A little bit intimidating, right? We're thinking, God's got bigger things going on than my little problems. Do we ever think that? Can I dispel that thought? God knows, he sees, and he cares about everything you're going through. And it doesn't take extra time for him to see what you're going through because he's worried about what they're going through. He's almighty, he's all-seeing, he's all-knowing, he's ever-present, he's sovereign. He knows the beginning to the end, so he knows what you're going through, and not only does he know about it, he cares about it, and oftentimes we just have to go before him with humility and boldness and awe of who he is, and he responds through faith in prayer. That's oftentimes how you'll read in the Gospels of Jesus responding, is because of the belief and the prayer that people had. So Jesus modeled what seeking God in prayer looked like, and also prayer allows us to take our requests to God. Remember, God is big enough. Pray bold prayers. God isn't offended by your smallest or your largest request. Pray such prayers that made God part the Red Sea. Pray such a prayer where in Joshua that the sun stood still while they fought battle for a day. Pray such a bold prayer that a lame man got up and walked in Acts when the man begged Peter Peter for money and he said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give freely in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And the man got up and walked. Pray such prayers that God may want to use you, maybe not to perform some, may may not use you as an instrument in a miracle, but he may use you as an instrument uh, to help someone's life. He may use you to be an encouragement to someone. He may use prayer to encourage you. We have to, y'all. This is a football, the fundamentals. We have to study God's word. We have to learn to seek him in prayer. Prayer helps us seek and receive forgiveness. Says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins and all unrighteousness, 
Um, and then also prayer helps us overcome anxiety and worry. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. This is one I send to my athletes all the time when they're struggling with anxiety or worry, whether it's a test, a game, life. And I'll say, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And send them Philippians 4, 6, and 7. We must study God's word, y'all. We must learn to seek God in prayer, not when we just need, not only when we need something. We seek God in prayer because we love him and we want to have an intimate relationship with him. If the only time I have a conversation with my wife is when I need something, it's not much of a relationship. It's a genie in the bottle type deal. So don't go to God with just your requests. Go to God to adore him, to love him, to connect with him, to commune with him. We must learn to get back to the fundamental because they matter to seek God in prayer. And number three, as we study God's word, hopefully we'll catch this vision. And as we connect with him in prayer, hopefully we'll get the clarity and, and God's blessing to move forward with it. We need to learn to share the good news. We need to remember to share the good news that is only found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, invite people to church, but don't allow, don't depend on the church for sharing the faith that God may be calling you to share. That might be an overflow as they come to church, or you could have a conversation, how did you think church was? And then it's an opportunity, a door opened for you to share the good news. Our job as followers of Christ is to know God, is to love him and to make him known. Pretty simple. It's to know God, K-N-O-W. To love him and to make him known. He, Jesus commands us to go into the world and preach the good news to everyone, everywhere. It's not only a mandate to be carried out by pastors, missionaries, and evangelists. Jesus commissioned his disciples. But what are some of the reasons we don't share? Fear of rejection, right? If I share my faith, I've now crossed the line and this person or this group might reject me. Would you rather tell someone the truth and risk rejection or continue to be accepted and they never hear the gospel? Don't answer that. You've already, like, let that resonate in your own spirit. I'd rather be rejected on this side. We don't share because we feel like we don't know enough. Well, point number one, study God's word. Or my life doesn't line up. Who am I to share my faith when my life does not line up as someone who should be sharing their faith? Can I help you out? Get your life right. Get your life right. It's not to condemn. That's not the point. Because I'm talking to me too. Sometimes we will disqualify ourselves from being a witness. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. We'll disqualify ourselves, not from salvation, but from witnessing to others. Because our life doesn't line up. The jokes we're laughing at, the things we're engaged, whatever it is. I don't know. I'm just going to just... You know what I mean. Statistics say that on the average, a person will hear the gospel seven times before they make a personal decision. You don't know if you're number one, four, seven, 77. You don't know. But out of obedience and love for the Lord, we share nonetheless. Remember, success is not bringing someone to Christ. It's being faithful and obedient to share. All we are is sowing seed, watering seed. 
Some will fall on the path, some rocky soil, some thorny soil, but every now and then some will be sown into good ground and it's gonna produce a harvest. And that salvation isn't notched up under your belt like, oop, got one. No, that's his business. Salvation is God's business. Our business is to be faithful to share. That's it. So whether people accept or reject, that is no longer between us and that person. That is between them and God. We have to be faithful to plant the seed. That's it. So that's at H-E-B. It's just a simple, hey, hope you have a great day. God bless you. Or God loves you. He has a great plan for your life. Huh? What? Oh, thanks. And they, you leave and they're like, what were they talking about earlier? And then they're at home and it's just, you never know what God's going to use or how he's going to use you. You don't have to have special training to share the gospel, just a changed heart. Remember in John 4, the woman at the well, all she said was, come see a man who told me everything that I'd ever done. In verse 39 of John chapter 4, it says, many Samaritans from that town, Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Do you know your testimony? Do you feel that you have one? It doesn't have to be from a a pit to the palace type testimony. It could be that God has kept you walking with him. That is a powerful testimony. What was your life like before Christ? Check. How'd you come to know Christ? Check. What is God doing in your life right now? Check. You have a testimony to share. You may have 30 seconds. You may have 13 minutes. You may have 30 minutes. You may not get through everything in 30 seconds, but you just hit a little hot point of here's, man, let me tell you what God's done in my life. Boom. Or you get to share from start to end. Don't know. And you may never know on this side of heaven that God may have used your testimony to draw that person to Christ. So in closing, we have to get back to the fundamentals. Why? Because fundamentals matter. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a football. It's blocking, tackling, catching, throwing, and running. We have to get to the fundamentals of our faith. Why? Because young people, you're about to go back to school. Mom, dad, vacations are going to end and we're going back to work. Why? Because there's a lost and dying world that apart from a personal relationship with Christ will spend eternity separated from him. And does that concern me? Yeah. But also it encourages me that we have work to do. We have to get back to the fundamentals because they matter. We don't learn these fundamentals. We don't study God's word, seek God in prayer to win a debate. We don't win a political battle through our our, our, our praying and our studying God's word. We do it, why? Because we love God, period. We love him and he loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us and the world. That's why. And so I wanna encourage you, if it just starts with these three, to spend time daily with God and his word because fundamentals matter. It means seeking him in prayer daily, hourly, There's an old, old um, holy man named Brother Lawrence who uh, was a dishwasher by trade and he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. He wanted to live in God's presence in a perpetual state, just never ending. And they said, well, how long do you pray? So, well, I don't pray long. I don't pray more than 30 minutes, but I don't go more than 30 minutes without praying. 
practicing God's presence, seeking him in prayer. Why? Fundamentals matter. And then sharing the good news that we have in Jesus Christ. Why? Because fundamentals matter. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will.